Bible's going to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. So it is the Passion Week. We'll be covering that on, um, on Sunday, but today we'll just stay where we're at in Matthew chapter 18. So we covered last time verses 1 through, uh, let's see, 19. No, 20. So today we're going to start at 21, but I'm going to, I'm going to recap because where I stopped is feeding off of what we just went over. So in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, Jesus is dealing with if somebody offends you, how to approach that. What do you do when a Christian brother or sister offends you? And so you'll remember the first thing you're supposed to do is to go to that person by yourself and um, let them know that you were offended. And what you're ultimately wanting to do is remember that every sin is a sin against God. And so it's not you're the priority, but if they've offended you, then they've separated themselves from God. And you want to see reconciliation with God for your brother and sister or your brother or sister who offends you. Okay. So that's the first thing you do. If they don't receive you, then you're allowed to take one to two people with you as a witness. So where there's two or three, it's corroborated with God. It's confirmed with God. And that way they can see if you're kind of blowing it out of proportion or if they're able to be able to be corrected. Um, if, if, again, if they repent and they ask for forgiveness, then you're able to be reconciled. But ultimately, again, they're, they're reconciled with God. After the second time that you go to your brother that has sinned against you, sister that has sinned against you, if they don't receive you, you're allowed to then tell it to the church. Go to the leadership within the church. The church then will be able to go and see if we can get that taken care of. If they don't receive it after that third time, then you're allowed to treat them like an unbeliever. Does that mean that you condemn them to hell? No, that means you love them. You want to witness to them. You want to be a light to them. But maybe they don't even know the Lord. And the most important thing is not that you're offended, but God is offended. Not that somebody hurt you, but that they're going to go to eternity without God. And so our ultimate goal, hopefully, is to see people come to faith in Christ. We want to see people reconciled with God, first and foremost. Okay? On the heels of that, we get into what we're going to study. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would bless your word, speak to us through your word. We thank you for the gathering of the body this week and what it represents, the Passion Week. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this evening. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Now, Peter thinks he's doing something because it was required in the law up to three times for the same offense. You forgive someone after that. Nah, you don't have to forgive him. And so Peter's like two times plus one extra or am I holy? Jesus's response, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Is Jesus saying 490 times for the same offense? 
No, he's using figurative speech so that he could say, keep forgiving until you lose count. That's tough, isn't it? That's jacked up too, right? But this is the way of the kingdom. And Jesus is letting us know that forgiven people should be forgiving people. Because when it's all said and done, harboring unforgiveness, holding on to unforgiveness, is like taking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. We get defiled. We get damaged. We get harmed. We get hurt when we harbor unforgiveness. The overwhelming majority of beds in a hospital are filled with stress patients. Patients are in the hospital for stress. Stress kills. And so the Lord knows that holding on to anger, which turns into bitterness, is going to mess us up. And so he wants us to forgive. What's the definition of forgiveness? Do we forgive and forget? Yes or no? 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 How come we don't forgive and forget? Does God forgive and forget? He does? Interesting. Can God forget? Hmm. He chooses to. It's sort of that. Sort of that. So what God does, like Jason, Pastor Jason Norton taught us, right? Is he takes our sins as if it were my fist and he puts it in a place where he chooses not to look at it in the cleft of his back. That's what God does with our sin. So he doesn't throw it in our face. He's forgiven us, right? When he died on the cross, how many of our sins did Jesus carry on the cross of ours? All of them, right? Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. And so he's taken those sins and he's put them in a place of forgetfulness. He doesn't forgive and forget. And the way we know that is because if you were to read the Old Testament, you see the sins of David, committed sin with Bathsheba. You see the sins of Abraham, lied about his sister, Sarai, right? His wife saying that she was her sister, his sister, so on and so forth. So those sins are, are recorded for us. And the Lord may very well remind us of things that, hey, you've been asking me to forgive you for this thing. When are you going to give it to me? So you've been asking for forgiveness, but when are you going to release it to me? The definition of forgiveness is to release the debt owed. When somebody offends you, when somebody does something to you, when somebody violates you, when somebody takes something from you, you release them by forgiving them to say, you took it, I release you of the debt you owe me. That's in a nutshell what forgiveness is. So Jesus gives this awesome little parable to make his point and how important forgiveness is. And as he tells Peter, 70 times 7, again, it's not so much 490. We don't, we don't do the math. 487, man, I'm losing, dude. You know, it's not like we're counting and can't wait till you get to 490, dude. I'm going to hit you upside the head with a skillet. You know, no, he, he's, he's just saying we don't keep track, Peter. We're not counting. We're just, it's a number that you just keep forgiving. You, you forgive people who are asking for it. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. Let's just call it a million dollars. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold 
and his wife and children and all that he had and that he made and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Could he pay him all? No, it's a number that he could never pay him. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, small amount in comparison to the big amount that he owed. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had done what he had done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you if, uh, from, uh, if you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We're going to focus on that last part, but we'll talk about the little parable. The parable is the one servant owed so much he could never pay it over his lifetime. He's forgiven of that debt. He goes out and finds this guy that owes him some chump change. The guy says the exact words that he said to his master. I can't pay it. I, I, will you forgive me? The same exact words, word for word, are said to the master and to the guy that was owed the money, who was relieved of the debt. He doesn't. He doesn't have compassion. He doesn't recognize that he had been forgiven such a great debt. He doesn't reciprocate, if you will. And so he has this guy thrown in prison. His master finds out and says, you wicked servant. Should you not have had compassion? I, I forgave you so much and you couldn't have let that guy off the hook. But Jesus's conclusion is something that, woo, that's kind of a tough one, isn't it? So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. What? Jesus had already said something just like this. Jump back over to Matthew's gospel, chapter five, uh, chapter six. We're going to look at two verses. Matthew's gospel, same, same gospel, chapter six. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching all kinds of different things about what it looks like for the Christian to live their life on earth. And as he's teaching his disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he repeats one thing from the prayer that Jesus teaches. So we call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He repeats something in verse 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6. Somebody read me verses 14 and 15, please. No. Oh, wait, wait, wait. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Interesting. 
So as I was studying this, I remember the question that Derek came up to me and asked me probably about three weeks ago at church after the service. And he said, hey, I was listening to a message and the, the pastor said that there's two unpardonable sins. Remember Derek? And so as I was studying this, I read that verse 35 there in chapter 18. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. Wow. And then I remember in the Sermon on the Mount, same scripture, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, how are we saved? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. How are we saved? We're saved by grace, aren't we? Through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God, right? So are we saved by grace through faith? Is the unpardonable sin the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and harboring unforgiveness? Yes or no? No. Because we're saved by grace. And to reject that grace is to be ultimately condemned. So God is handing us a gift. That's what grace is. Unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. So the only thing we have to do for salvation, the only part that we play is believe. Right? But it's not a mental belief. It's a belief. Like, no, 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 no. If nothing else is true, I believe this to the core of my being and I will live it for the rest of my life. I will show you what I believe by how I live. It's a hardcore belief, right? The definition of that word believe is to trust in, adhere to, cling to, rely upon. Okay? So it's not just, eh, no, for real, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Of course he did, right? Yeah, I believe that. No, 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 no. It's like, no, you don't understand. I don't do that. I don't talk like that. I don't go there. I don't frequent those places because I believe... <laughs> that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You don't understand. This has infused every fiber of my being. Like, I believe this. No, for real though. Right? That's what the believe is. And so, it looks like we have, Houston, we have a problem. Because we have the unpardonable sin that says if I reject the sacrifice over my lifetime, then I'm, I, I have no other solution, no other opportunity to go to heaven. I've rejected it. But if I receive the gift, then I have salvation. But and then all of a sudden, what if somebody offends me? What if somebody does something so vile to me that they, man, they, I just can't. You don't understand. It's like, I got to protect myself somehow. So in my heart, oh, you don't even understand what they did. I mean, if I sat down and told you, you would be right with me. I mean, I could convince you why I could not forgive that person, right? All of us could probably make a case, right? And if we line people up, they'd be, oh man, I was jacked up, bro. No, for real, no, no, no I see that. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Yeah, because we've got these verses, right? And so what does this mean? Hmm. Inquiring mind wants to know. Okay, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And we're going to contrast two sets of scriptures. And then we're going to close out with one last set of scriptures. So John's Gospel, chapter 13, starting at verse 6. But here's the story. 
Jesus is headed to the cross. But before he does that, he wants to leave an example for his disciples. And he wants to show them, hey guys, if you want to be great, like I'm great, I'm going to model it for you. I'm going to wash your dirty, dusty, stanky feet. And so he girds himself with a towel, gets a basin of water, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet as an example of how we, as Christians, are supposed to live our lives. Hey, I want to be great. Greatness in the kingdom, sign me up. Okay, serve. Oh, (laughs) can't I just talk in front of a microphone and maybe like pay the cojones? Serve. Serve in whatever capacity, whatever way that they'll allow you to serve. Just serve. But and then he gets to Peter, verse 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6, starting at 13, starting at verse 6. John's Gospel, chapter 13. Starting at 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know this after this, or you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, or if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me a shower. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So the part that we're going to focus on is. Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my, and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But he is completely clean. And then you are clean, but not all of you. Okay, that little verse 10 there. Jump over to Isaiah's gospel, chapter 59. Old Testament, middle of your book, right after the Psalms. We're ready. Somebody read me verses 1 and 2. Behold the Lord... Sorry, okay. Behold, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all that it cannot save, nor his ear dull with deafness that it cannot hear. <coughs> but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Okay. So when Jesus tells Peter that he needs to wash his feet, and Peter requests a shower or a bath, Jesus says, you're already clean. But if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Isaiah says, the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your sins, your iniquity, has separated you from your God so that he will not hear. He makes a conscious choice to not hear. Okay, I'm going to tie it all together. Almost done. This is Brian's style. Huh. Brian reads like a 25 verses. And then ties it in a, a nice knot. Last set of scriptures, 1 John chapter 1. Oh, That's way in the back. Go to Revelation and make a left. John. 1 John chapter 1. Go verses 5 through 10. All the way to the back. Revelation and then make a left. It's a Bible study. 1 John chapter 1. 
starting at verse 5. I'll read it. 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Twice in this section of scripture, it is declared that we sin. And if we say that we don't sin, we're liars. Right? But it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Jesus was telling Peter in John's Gospel, chapter 13, is, Peter, you're saved. You've been washed. You've come to faith in me. But as you walk in this world, you pick up stuff. Just by living in this world, our feet are going to pick up dirt, right? They wore sandals, dusty roads. They didn't have pavement. And so they would pick up stuff. The lowest servant in the house job was to clean the feet of the guests. Jesus girds himself with a towel, takes a basin of water, and assumes the position of the lowest servant as an example. But in the midst of that example, he's saying, Peter, I need to wash your feet. And all Christians need to have their feet washed. As far as salvation goes, if you've trusted in Christ, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you've received that, then you have salvation. But as we walk in this world, as we watch TV, listen to music, listen to people's bebop, their talk, their trash talk, our own hearts, right? Our wicked thoughts sometimes. All of that stuff. We're picking it up. Confession means to say the same thing as. So as we study the word of God, as we read and spend time in the love letter, it's washing us. It's giving us proper thinking. And so we're being transformed like a metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a butterfly to be able to soar as a Christian. But if we don't confess our sins, say the same thing as, then we're carrying around all this stuff. We're walking in this filth. We're loaded down in burden unnecessarily. We don't go to the Bible study for head knowledge. We go to Bible study so that we can understand the tactics of the enemy, how wicked our own hearts and flesh are, so that we can actually confess and do these things to the Lord. As we grow in the Lord as Christians, we should sin less and repent more. So we confess our sins, we say the same thing, and then we turn from it. And we say, Lord, wow. Boy, was that a horrible attitude. Boy, was that a bad thing to say. Lord, man, what was I mean to that person? Ah, Lord, forgive me. I'm confessing it's sin. You call it sin, Lord. Clearly in the scriptures. Then how would you do it again? 
then you ask for forgiveness again. Because if we are compelled to forgive somebody 490 times, how much more God, right? If what somebody does to us is this big, and what we've done to God is infinity, right? What we've done to a holy God. And the reason why is because God's holy. We're not holy. A lot of the bad stuff people do to us, we deserve some of it. It's like, no, you got me, bro. I jacked you up last week. You got me good this week. All right, I got you. All right. I mean, that happens sometimes. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 59, where God chooses not to hear us, our sin separates us from God. Not our sin separates us from God so that we won't go to heaven as Christians. Well, I'm saved this week. Well, I lost my salvation. Well, I'm saved this week. Well, shoot. My first year in Christianity, man, I got saved like every week. I was like, yeah, I I need to go to the altar again because he's preaching to me. I just, woo, okay, I had a bad week. Okay, I got to go to the altar again. And then the pastor's like, you don't don't need to do this. Yeah, you already gave your heart to Jesus. You're saved. You're you're good. Yeah, yeah. But I feel so dirty. Yeah, you're dirty. Just confess your sin to the Lord. (laughs) Confess your sin to the Lord. And so when we don't confess our sins to the Lord, then what we're doing is we're harboring, we're holding on, and we have a burden, the weight of the world on our shoulders. And Jesus already told us in Matthew chapter 11, why are you carrying that load? Give me your load. My burden is light. My load is easy. You're carrying the weight of the world. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to, you're going to break under the pressure. Okay. I think of, um, oh, what was I thinking about? Isaiah. It'll come back to me. The other verse that we looked at was the first John. The reason why we confess our sins is it creates a genuine humility. It creates a genuine humility. It puts us in our rightful place so thankful and so grateful to God who is so gracious to forgive us. And if you're sick of confessing the same thing, then do something about it. Jesus already told us, go to extreme measures to keep communion with God. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out. If your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. Was he saying that literally or figuratively? Figuratively. Go to extreme measures to make sure that you don't sin. Why? Because he had already told us that sin begins in the heart. And so I could chop this hand off and sin with this hand. I could pluck this guy. Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa had a guy who plucked his eyes out. Guess what? He still sinned in his mind. Your imagination is powerful without vision. He took that verse literally, (laughs) plucked his eyes out of his eye sockets and continued to sin because it's in our heart. It's in our heart. I learned something powerful this weekend. I remember the other thought. Do we forgive ourselves? We have to. We have to. Are we better, smarter, or greater than God? How dare us not forgive ourselves? How dare us think we're smarter or better or greater than God? That's what you're saying. Well, God forgave me, but I can't forgive me. You don't even know how bad I am. Oh, so you know more than God? Oh, oh, okay, I got it. You're smarter than God? If God forgives you, why can't you forgive yourself? And again, genuine humility. Humility is something that's born from the inside out. Humility is not, well, I wear real scruffy clothes so that people can think that I'm poor because, you know, I'm just trying to be humble. No, no. That's just tacky and tasteless. (laughs) 
that's not, that's not humility. And that's the church that my wife and I were saved at. They wore polyester suits and they wore kite-sized ties. The men. Have you ever seen those big 70 ties that are like, covers the whole thing? And you're like, wow, that's pretty ugly, bro. <laughs> that's pretty ugly. I was like 21. I'm like, dang, I don't have to buy those, do I? <laughs> Babe, can we find another church when they're not addressed a little better? <laughs> this is scary, right? Yeah, that's not humility. And if that's all you have, then, then I ain't mad at you, right? That's all good. But if you're trying to, from the outside, impress people with how humble you are, you're not humble. It's the opposite of humility because humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not really thinking of yourself. Think about Jesus and people. And when you think about Jesus and people, you're really walking in humility. And the reason we want to be humble is because the Bible says God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. Okay? So the last thing I was going to say, este, como se dice, what was I saying? After we forgive ourselves, there was one more thing. I know I had it. Angel, you don't remember? I started to say it, and I remembered the other thing. And then I came back to the other thing, and I forgot the other thing now. My lantus. What a loser. Forgive ourselves. We're, no, we did that. Okay, let's, let's wrap up. The unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is to reject Jesus over your life. So the second unpardonable sin is not unforgiveness. The reason we forgive is because we've been forgiven so much. And God doesn't want his kids rotten from the inside out. Anger held onto turns into bitterness. Bitterness defiles all the time. So we forgive for our sakes. We forgive for communion with God. It doesn't mean that you let people off the hook to truth. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that love rejoices, that love is kind, but it also rejoices in the truth. That's very important. So somebody breaks into my house. They steal something. They're caught. They sold it. It's lost. It's gone. They violated me. They took something from me that they can't give me back. I forgive them in my heart while I'm in court testifying against them so that they can pay their debt to society. They can go to jail. But in my heart, it's not, ooh, I hope that sucker gets the electric chair, man. Stole my folder, bro. Like, really? Stole your folder? Stole your folder. I mean, you can buy another one of those, right? So we don't do that. We forgive them in our heart even while we're holding them accountable. We can create healthy boundaries in our life for people who continue to violate or hurt us. It's okay to hold them at arm's length and set healthy boundaries, okay? Questions, comments, concern. Biblical forgiveness. Why is it so hard? Lorraine, what's your question? What you were just saying then about forgiveness, because I, I struggled with that a little myself. So, and setting healthy boundaries. So basically, it's like we've got to forgive them but setting a healthy boundary is, you know, even though I forgive you, uh, I'm, I don't trust you again, and I don't accept the behavior. So that would be setting out. If that person keeps repeatedly doing that, mm-hmm. you've got to set those boundaries mm-hmm. down. Like, hey, I forgive you, but it doesn't mean I trust you again or accept the, the behavior. Absolutely. And that's healthy. 
So I think what, one thing we do is we, we think that love is this mushy thing where it's just kind, 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 kind. But where's the, that's truth, where's the, or that's grace, but where's the truth? The truth of the matter is, you know, now you have to prove that you're worthy of me trusting you again. And so I might give you another chance. And, and whatever your barometer is, you know, my daughter has a one strike you're out rule. I'm a little more gracious, you know, I play baseball, so I do three strikes, you're out kind of thing, you know. But whatever you're comfortable with, and I think you need to know you and your weaknesses. So that's a tough one, but we're all called to do that. It's in your heart, all the while you can hold people accountable. I think that's the key. Okay? Anybody else? Questions? Comments? No? I like to do forgiveness every once in a while. It comes up in the scriptures as we're going through the Bible, but I know it's something that we are always challenged with, right? How many of you are challenged by forgiveness? Just a few of us? Okay, sometimes it's tough, huh? So again, we can hold people accountable, but in our heart, we're not like, we don't want to see somebody like get burned, like, ooh, karma sucker. Karma's not even Christian. All right. Love that person you can't forgive or hold on to they're not here no more. In your heart, even the more important to forgive them in your heart, to release them of that debt. Because we live in a hell on earth when people pass on or they move on and they did something and it's difficult. Yeah. So even, even all the more reason. The best thing to do in those cases, write a letter. Write a letter. You know, mom, I know you tried, but ooh, I was so angry for so many years. Dad, uncle, bro, older brother, whatever. Just whatever that person, that friend that turned around and stabbed you in the back. Hey, you're gone, but I just want to let you know, I forgive you. I'm going to release you of the debt you owe me. I'm going to let you go. I had to do that with my father and it was healthy. Very healthy. Do you have to tell them? You know what? I send the letter. His, his wife didn't even give it to him. He doesn't even have to receive it. It's something that takes place in your heart. Yeah, so. so I made a good intent to get it to him. But in the case of somebody who's passed on, obviously they're not going to get it. But it's something that takes place in your heart. Writing is a great ministry tool. And it's the action. So um, Roxanne does something and I don't like it. And I'm like, well, okay, it's Roxanne. Forgive her, gosh. You know, and then I see you. I'm like, hey, Roxanne, how's it going? You know, I'm not going to be like, hey, Roxanne, what's up? <laughs> you know, so it's your action as well. Right. And the Lord will give you an opportunity to see if, if, if it happened because the name will come up or, uh, you know, something will happen where you see that person and you'll, you'll know, like, in your heart, like, oh, oh yeah, I was supposed to forget. Oh, shoot, dang, I didn't, you know. But, but I think as time goes on. Well, I'm going on personal experience what happened to me. So some guy stabbed me in the back. I said, all right, you're supposed to pray for people that you hate and your enemy. So Lord, promote them. And God promotes them. And then I found out and I was like, oh, Lord, I was kidding. I was kidding. Why'd you do it? Like, I, like the Lord checked my heart. Then that wasn't really in your heart. Correct. But I didn't know until I was confronted. The Lord let me see. And then I was like, Lord, I'm so wicked. And then I had to confess again and then ask for forgiveness. And now I really did let him go. And it was like, but the Lord showed me, Johnny, you're so wicked. <laughs> 
He held a mirror up for me. It's a true story. It really happened. Yeah. <laughs> You're paying interest on, on money you didn't get. Yep. So it's a good way of saying that. It's just a, it's just a blessing to be able to just go, you know. It's not worth I it. Life is too I short. Make mistakes. You make mistakes. Yeah. Bless you. Now, again, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, obviously if they live with you under your roof, that's a whole different story. But it doesn't mean that you have to have encounters with that person on the day. No tea and scrumpets for you, buddy, you know. <laughs> Because you know, you know that uh, you know how the other person is, and you know better. Yeah, you know you know that you're gonna please the Lord, saying, "Okay, I forgive." Yeah, you know better. You know, I, I don't even know if I have to ever say it. It's hard I, my to do it, but we know better. My actions are very clear. All right, let's close in prayer. We're gonna have a time of communion. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you have granted to us. And Lord, that is a gift that we all have to receive. Nobody can do it for us. Nobody can make that decision for us. And so, Father, I pray that everyone in this room has had that opportunity, Lord, to confess you as their Lord, to acknowledge that they need forgiveness, and that the sacrifice that you made on the cross is personal and for them. And so, Lord, if there's nobody... Or there's somebody in this room who hasn't done that. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you right now, call out to you in a simple prayer and ask, Lord, that you would come into their heart, come into their life. And through that, Lord, receive the forgiveness that you offer. So we thank you, Father, that uh, we have been forgiven a debt that we could not pay. We thank you for paying that debt for us, Lord, the innocent for the guilty. And so, Father, we ask that you bless this time that we have together in Jesus' name. Amen.